The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. in Washington, D.C., and here is your top five at five. You are waking up with dozens of key races still too close to call, although NBC News does project Republicans will likely take control of the House, the Senate. It is still up in the air, and we may not know until December. Investors now gauging the political and economic landscape. It is not just about the midterms. Dow futures, they're down. Disney getting hammered on disappointing results. Elon Musk selling billions worth of Tesla stock, all to help pay for Twitter. Tesla falling from 300 to under 200 in just a month. The crypto world in shock as FTX gets bailed out. Founder Sam Bankman-Fried losing nearly 15 billion of wealth. And now many big questions still remain and thousands of Facebook employees waiting for their pink slips today. Mark Zuckerberg says that Meta simply grew too big, too fast. It is Wednesday, November 9th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Good to be back with you today. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us, everybody. They're getting up earlier, maybe just staying up late. Who knows? All right, let's get to why you are here and up this early in America. And that is how the markets and your money are reacting to America's elections and some of the earnings news and stock futures right now. They are down across the board. We are seeing the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 144. Not a huge percentage move, but it is early and we are down. Fair value on the S&P, a little bit better off there. All coming, by the way, off a big day on Tuesday. Really was a big last 30 days or so for the markets. All the major averages rising on Tuesday. Let's check the bond market. Yields, borrowing costs, holding a bit steady. Not seeing a big move for bonds. 10-year yield at 4.14%. The two-year, I mean, this is this is the number everybody's been watching. What, what was that, 0.3% at the pandemic lows back in March of 2020? Now at 4.67%. Let's check oil and gas because oil has really popped over the last month or so. Now, we are down a little bit today, but we're at 88.20. We were above 90 the other day, so down a little bit right now. The price of natural gas still above 6 bucks, but oil at 88. That means that gasoline prices are probably going to move higher nationally. And take a look at this news. If you're focused on the midterms, I get it. But there was last night a fire that broke out at a big Chevron refinery near Los Angeles. Now, we are waiting for more details. Some say it may be localized. we got to wait. I reached out to Chevron, say, what's the status of that refinery? Hopefully everybody is okay. But either way, with California gasoline prices above 6 bucks in many areas, California cannot have any outage of gasoline production. That El Segundo refinery, just on the water there outside of L.A., produces around 270,000 barrels a day of both gasoline, some renewable fuels, etc. So that is a story in gasoline that we are watching. And, of course, crypto. With that massive and surprising Binance bailout of FTX kind of shocking everyone yesterday, and there still are a lot of questions remaining around that. Emily Parker, by the way, will be up to talk more about that in a few minutes here on the show. Right now, we are seeing, look at this, this FTX. I mean, that is the news. 
FTX, that is the token. It's at $3.77. It's down 22%. It lost more than 70% yesterday. That just continues to decline. And again, we're going to get more on that story. Reminder, FTX, okay, the firm, they sponsor a stadium. You see their names on all these referee jerseys. Tom Brady, Steph Curry, many bold-faced names have either endorsed and or taken a stake in FTX. Another crypto stock that is not directly related to the story, but certainly a part of the story being part of that crypto universe is Coinbase Global. Coinbase Global continues to fall. It is down another 4.6% today. And you can see the last couple of days, this is where that FTX Binance news hit. So it's holding up a bit, maybe better than some had thought, but the stock is still down nearly 5% after hours. All right, another big money mover that we have got to watch. And this is going to be the stock story. You've got the midterms, of course, overshadowing everything. But from a stock perspective, your stock story is going to be Disney. Shares are sinking this morning. They fell short on profit. They fell short on a number of key revenue segments. The streaming number came in terrible. I don't think that's an overstatement because the market is telling you that. Disney stock, maybe one of the worst days that we have seen this year for a while, down 7.7%. And of course, it's in the Dow. Dow's a price-weighted index. So this right now may not be the only reason Dow futures are down, but that is going to hurt the Dow today. We will get more on Disney coming up in just a moment, certainly here on Worldwide Exchange. Right around the world, you got a mixed picture in Asia. Maybe a little good news out of China. They had an inflation number that actually dropped for the first time since December of 2020. Now, I could say, I don't believe the Chinese data, whatever it might be. Either way, that's the official print. Maybe a little good news there. And in Europe, their trading day just getting underway. And you can see their stocks, kind of like ours, lower across the board. By the way, cold temperatures, they had nearly perfect weather for two months. Well, now it's getting cold and gas, natural gas prices are beginning to creep higher. Just again, something to watch there. All right, we've got much more in the markets and your money. But right now, of course, to your top story, and that is the election. Dozens of midterm races around America are still too close to call. As President Biden's second half agenda hangs in the balance amid a likely split, split in Congress. NBC's Bree Jackson joining us now from Washington, D.C. with what we know right now, Bree, and what we still don't. Hello, Brian. Yeah, results continue to pour in, and we're told that President Biden was upbeat as election results came in overnight. And while it's still unclear exactly what will happen, top Democrats say it was an unexpectedly good night for the party. Control of the House and Senate remains up in the air this morning as both parties pick up crucial wins. In Pennsylvania, voters elected Democrat John Fetterman to fill the seat of a retiring Republican. I'll be the next U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. It was a big night for Democrats in the Keystone State as Josh Shapiro won his bid for governor. Truth won right here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. In a neighboring state, Ohio, Trump-backed Republican J.D. Vance won a highly competitive race. We've had a good night in the Ohio Republican Party, haven't we? Wow. Although it was not the red wave that some predicted this midterm, Democrats outperformed during an election cycle that historically does not favor the party in power. 
in the House. Virginia's Abigail Spanberger retained her seat in a race widely considered a litmus test for how Democrats would fare in swing districts. We must recommit ourselves to the cause of our country. With votes still being counted, Republicans believe they'll secure enough seats to flip control of the House. We will be in the majority and Nancy Pelosi will be in the minority. Some races are too close to call. In Georgia, incumbent Governor Brian Kemp emerged victorious. It looks like the reports of my political death have been greatly exaggerated. But the battle for Georgia's U.S. Senate seat remains in the balance. We are not sure if this journey is over. Just hanging there a little bit longer. As does the balance of power in Washington. And President Biden made calls to congratulate winning Democrats. And we do expect to hear from Mr. Biden in some form later today. Brian. All right, Bree Jackson, NDC. Bree, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, back on Wall Street, investors awaiting those election results. By the way, maybe waiting for a long time. And any signs of government gridlock before turning their attention to tomorrow's CPI print. Joining us now is Dan Vru, co-chairman and CIO of Palisade Capital Management, and Ivory Johnson, founder of Delancey Wealth Management. Gentlemen, both either thanks for getting up or thanks for staying up. Maybe we all, <laughs> I'm not sure any of us really slept. Uh, Dan, I'll start off with you. Um, based on what we know now, and things could certainly change, is there any change in how you look at the market and where you're investing? Not really, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me this morning. I do think that uh, the fact that the election's behind us bodes well for markets next year. What makes it a little bit tricky is normally uh, you would have more support from the Federal Reserve in cutting rates uh, after the midterm elections. That's obviously uh, not going to happen unless the economy in the first half dramatically decelerates and inflation really comes down. Uh, because typically the president wants to focus on his reelection prospects and would want to have more stimulus coming in in the form of additional liquidity. Uh, so that's what makes things a little bit tricky. I'm just going back to the old playbook of focusing on companies that are more attractively valued uh, from a price earnings multiple, price to book, price to cash flow, so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, you said the election, Dan, was behind us. I, uh, it may, we may still have a month to go. Essentially, yes. Yeah, essentially it, us, the, yeah. How about this? Yeah. The bulk of it is. Ivory Johnson, again, same question to you. Based on what we know and what we still don't, do you alter what you're doing? No, I wouldn't use politics as the basis for an investment thesis. I live uh, 10 blocks from the United States Capitol building. We see uh, politics more as an industry than an effective you know, governing body. Uh, if, the, if the GOP does, in fact, take control of the Senate, it looks like they're going to flip the House. Uh, they campaigned on their ability to lower interest uh, inflation, rather. Uh, so that's a more hawkish stance. And the likelihood, as was pointed out, that they'll come up with a stimulus package uh, to facilitate economic growth goes down significantly. The problem is our GDP is still decelerating. We go from uh, negative 8.5 percent GDP growth in the second quarter of 2020 uh, to 12 and a half percent in second quarter to 21. Now it's 1.8 percent. That, that's really the problem is that, you know, the inflation, while, while still coming down, it's not going to decline more faster than revenues, and that bleeds into corporate profits. So I don't think the political issue is going to be 
um, something I would I would hang my hat on. Well, as well said, what you said, of course, living in D.C., you know that D.C., I've said many times, both parties, really the biggest business in the world is just the business of sort of government in Washington, D.C. You know, Dan, we go back. We were so focused on the Fed for months. We've kind of been focused on the elections, obviously, in the near term. We've got that CPI, the inflation data tomorrow. I mean, outside of politics, I would imagine we're just kind of going back to the playbook of what's Jay Powell and co going to do? Are they going to go 75 or 50 in December? The CPI numbers are going to really tell the story. If, if inflation continues to run hot, what are their choices? They have to stay in front of inflation, the inflationary pressures, because history has shown when you don't have a consistent policy and stamp out inflation very early with more aggressive policy, uh, you can really prolong uh, those inflationary pressures like what happened in the 1970s. Yeah, and whether we go down, Ivory, from 8% inflation to 6%, I mean, let's be clear that it's still red hot. Is cash, I mean, we had a nice market run up in October. Don't want to take anything away from that. One of the best months for the Dow ever. But is Mm -hmm. cash in many ways still king until we get more clarity and visibility? I think think cash makes a lot of sense right now. Sometimes, you know, a lawyer once told me it's, it's sometimes it's winning is not losing badly. And so on a relative basis, while you might lose your purchasing power, it's a great place to hide right now. I don't think we're out of the woods. If you look at the con- consumer credit, it's gone parabolic. Consumers borrowed another $25 billion in September. Uh, personal savings rates have, has, has, has declined pretty pretty fast, the uh, second lowest in, in, in 14 years. U.S. home uh, pending home sales down 31% year over year. So let's not forget, 31, 70% of our economy is a function of consumer spending, and the consumers tapped out at a time when mortgage rates have more than doubled. So I don't think we're out of the woods. Uh, and the problem is when people go to cash, the dollar goes up. And that's become a wrecking ball, not just in the United States, but it's had global implications yeah. as well. That is very well said. And no matter what party ends up in charge of which house or Senate, Congress, whatever it may be, I think your point on real estate, Ivory, is very well taken because real estate is a lot bigger than the stock market and a lot more important to a lot of people. Ivory Johnson, Dan Veru. Gentlemen, both looking good this morning. Thanks for getting up and coming on. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, right. for, thanks, Let's Brian. step outside of all this for a moment and get some of this morning's top corporate stories, including a huge sale of Tesla stock by a guy named Elon Musk. Savannah now is here now with that. Good morning, Savannah. Good morning, Brian. What's a day without Elon Musk news, right? Well, new filings revealing Elon Musk sold nearly $4 billion worth of Tesla shares in the days following his $44 billion purchase of Twitter. Now, according to the disclosure, Musk unloaded some 19.5 million shares between Friday and Tuesday, leaving him with a stake of roughly 14% in Tesla. Many on Wall Street had been expecting an additional share sale from Musk to help finance his Twitter deal. TikTok is reportedly slashing its worldwide revenue targets for this year by at least $2 billion. According to the Financial Times, the lowered outlook comes as the platform becomes the latest in the tech sector to get hit 
by a global online ad spend slowdown. The report adds TikTok had already cut targets by 20 percent back in September when full year sales were expected to fall between 12 and 14 billion dollars. And Facebook parent meta platforms will begin laying off employees as soon as this morning. According to multiple reports, Mark Zuckerberg broke the news to hundreds of his top executives yesterday afternoon. The coming cuts are expected to fall in the thousands and will likely wind up being the biggest in the tech sector this year. And those familiar with the meeting yesterday say Zuckerberg is taking full accountability for the company's missteps and his over-optimism about growth leading to overstaffing. Meta shares are down about 70 percent this year, Brian. Yeah, the, the sad story there for many of the employees and, and certainly for many investors, that stock has just been wiped out. I've called it the new Coke moment. Yeah, absolutely. I know a story we're going to keep following. We'll see what happens today, Brian. Yeah, and we'll see if they go back to the old Coke, if you know what I mean. All right, (laughs) Savannah, thank you very much. All right, folks, we are just getting started on this very busy Wednesday. And when we come back, why the stock ticker for Disney, DIS, this morning could stand for disaster. That is not stopping your next guest from saying the stock may be a buy. Plus, much more in the midterm elections and what a split Congress could mean for U.S. energy policy. It is all about energy and the great and powerful Willie McCraw will join us. Coming up, stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. If you were worried about Disney's results, well, you were right. They came in, and they came in much worse than expected. Disney stock is down 8% right now. Company falling short of expectations for profit and a number of key revenue segments from streaming to parks. And from the report, earnings coming in 45 percent below consensus, 30 cents versus the 55 cent median number. The worst miss for Disney going all the way back to the early 1990s. CEO Bob Chapek also warning of a near term decline in streaming growth for Disney Plus until it achieves what they hope is profitability by 2024. Operating losses for the streaming platform more than doubling from a year ago, more than a billion dollars. Joining us now is Jason Bassinet. He is media and entertainment analyst at Citigroup. Jason, uh, good morning, I think, or it's good morning to everybody, but but Disney investors, at least right now, uh, for people who were worried about the quarter, I mean, their worries were founded. What went wrong besides apparently everything? Well, I think, I think it's important to probably separate what went wrong into two buckets. Um, what went wrong in the parks, um, I would say, was very much transitory, meaning 
you had a lot more of the sort of COVID costs come back into the parks, which I think the street unestimated. You got hurt a little bit with um, the shutdown of the parks in, in China. You got tagged with a hurricane in Florida and uh, the launch of one of their cruise ships. And that sort of cacophony of bad stuff meant that you had a huge miss in the parks. And what it meant is that the margins, which were the EBIT margins, which were running sort of closer to 30%, let's say, over the last three quarters, came in at 20 uh, the good news for investors is all of those items are sort of transitory. Um, and so th those margins will come back, um, you know, next year. So that's the good news. The second thing that went wrong uh, was on the DTC direct to consumer side where the losses were much wider. And, and I think here, um, you know, it's going to take a little bit longer, I think, for Disney to sort of dig out of the EBIT losses and get to profitability. I think that the silver lining, if there is one for investors, is they didn't walk away from getting to that uh, EBIT profit in 2024 in the back end of 2024. Yeah, listen, we're in the media, so we love to talk about nothing more <laughs> than the media, Jason, as you know. But let's talk about these streaming numbers. I sure. mean, they're bad and losing over a billion bucks. I, what do you do? Charge $20 a month? You double your fee? Uh, I mean, how do you possibly make this up? When do the numbers start to make sense? Right. Well, so a couple things. Um, the, the first point is, is that we know that this business, if you look at a company like Netflix, can do something like 20% EBIT margins. Disney has also said they think they can do 20% EBIT margins. So I don't think that there's much of a question about, you know, can you get there? Um, the challenge is how do you get enough revenue over the transom to defease all of the fixed costs in this business? And I think this is really important. Remember, Disney took pretty dramatic price changes uh, earlier this year. They haven't gone into effect just yet. But the reason they're so important is um, they're going to make it much easier for consumers to bundle, right? So I'll just give you an example. In the U.S., if you have a Disney Plus, you can add Hulu for $2 now. If you have Hulu, you can add Disney Plus for $2. Um, and, the, and then the churn rate goes down once you get customers buying more than one of these apps. So so that's very, very important. And I think that's what's going to sort of manifest itself as 23 and 24 roll on. Because when you get a, just a few extra bucks from all of these customers, all yeah. of that drops to the bottom line, right? There's no marginal cost if you can get an extra $2 from consumers. So that, that's where we're headed. So bottom line, it, uh, Jason, what do we do? If we own the stock, are we, are we selling into this weakness? Are we hanging on? Uh, are we buying more? No, I, I, look, I would definitely buy more. I mean, look, you said it yourself in your uh, preamble about, you know, this is the worst quarter. What, what did you say since 1990? Early, the biggest <laughs> miss since the <laughs> yeah. early 90s. Doesn't when they had to use tickets it, to get into Disneyland. The e-ticket was what all right. the kids wanted, by the way. That's right. Exactly. I mean, the, the, the answer is in, is in your statement right there. I mean, you know, there's nothing structurally broken about this company. Um, you did have two things that went wrong, but this is absolutely a buy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely a buy. All right, we're going to find, we need Mandalorian to another baby Yoda, perhaps. <laughs> Jason Bazinet, thank you very much. Do appreciate yes, that. Yes. Busy thank day you. there for Jason. All right, still on deck yeah. here. He was once billed as the Warren Buffett of crypto. Now his firm needs to be bailed out. The entire crypto world is in shock. The latest on the bizarre turn at FTX. Next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back, everybody. Still waiting on more updates on the midterm elections, but right now let's turn to the still developing and bizarre story around FTX, Binance, and the crypto world. Crypto investors, many still stunned, trying to figure out exactly what went wrong with one of the stars of the crypto world, that is Sam Bankman-Fried, and his FTX exchange. And that includes FTX's crypto token called FTT, which lost about 90% of its value yesterday, Losing even more this morning. Effectively, it's not wiped out, but it's not far from being wiped out. Joining us now is Emily Parker, Executive Director of Global Content at Coindesk. They've been all over the story. We spoke yesterday, Emily. I really appreciate getting up early and coming back on. Uh, With all the attention of the midterms, this, to me, is one of the biggest market stories in the world. What do we know? What have we learned in the last 12 hours or so? Because I think people's heads are still spinning about how FTX could go down like this. Emily, are you there? Good morning, Emily. Hello, Emily. All right. We're Hello. Gonna, we're gonna, we're, Emily, you there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, all right, perfectly. I had this great setup, which now apparently went wasted. It's fine. I'm kidding. What have we learned in the last 12 hours or so? Because I think the crypto world, I mean, they're stunned. They are. They are stunned. I think this is really one of the biggest crypto stories I've seen in a while, sort of even competing with Election Day in the U.S. Um, I think one of one interesting thing that has emerged is that crypto exchanges are now scrambling to put together proof of reserves, yep. uh, meaning that they are trying to be a little bit more transparent in the wake of this huge crisis. So that's one positive thing that has come out of it is that crypto exchanges are taking a little bit more accountability in terms of publishing proof of their reserve holdings. Yeah, you know, CZ Zhao, who is the head of Binance, who, by the way, looks like they're going to come out the winner here. And we can go into the backstory, but that's that's for probably a book down the road. He tweeted out something kind of like a little scolding lesson to Sam Bankman Freed. He said two big lessons here. Number one, never use a token that you created as collateral. And number two, don't borrow if you run a crypto business. Are we learning here? And who knows how this ultimately would turn out, Emily? But are we learning here? that FTX may have not been the firm that we thought it was. Well, yes, Binance is definitely doing a big victory lap here because now it is sort of, you know, becoming the most powerful exchange in the industry. But yes, I mean, the point that CZ is raising is a legitimate one. I mean, that's definitely the takeaway. I mean, that's why we're sort of in this situation is because it seems that a lot of people think exactly that, that FTX is not the exchange that I thought it was because um, my colleague Ian Allison at Coindesk broke this story about how Alameda's balance sheet was largely made up of FTT, which is a token that its sister company, FTX, invented. Um, And that's just not a great look, right? I mean, I think that raised a lot of questions about liquidity. And just about assets, like, okay, if so much of your balance sheet is made up of this token that is ostensibly created out of thin air, like, what does that mean? And I think that's what caused the proverbial sort of run on the bank, where a lot of people sort of wanted to take their money out of FTX as soon as possible. But, you know, and and we we talked yesterday, if viewers didn't see the one o'clock show, The Exchange, I said it was like me making up Sully Bucks, starting a bank and then funding my bank with Sully Bucks. (laughs) You know, it's kind of just like you're funding yourself. We put that chart back up, guys. We have a we have a wall graphic, Emily, of all the big investors in FTX. And forget about the Tom Brady's and the Steph Curry's. I get that. We've got Sequoia. We've got BlackRock. 
We've got Tiger Global and SoftBank. These are some of the biggest and most sophisticated investors in the world, not in crypto, in everything in the world. And they missed it. Yep, that's a great point. And, you know, the thing is, is, is Sam Bankman-Fried, I mean, until recently, he seems sort of invincible. I mean, he was just going on the, around the world, raising money, raising money. When it seemed like he had too much money, he went out and he raised even more money, you know, from some of these big investors. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it raises a lot of questions just in general, like too, so much power being vested in this one individual in an industry that's supposed to be decentralized, right? Like, why was Sam Bankman-Fried, why was FTX so powerful? You know, for a while, it was basically FTX and Binance were the two biggest players. Now, we're down to one Binance. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of concerns here. Very quickly, any remaining contagion risk in your mind, Coinbase, others? I mean, I think, I, I don't know about Coinbase specifically, but I think what we've seen with um, in the past with some of these crypto implosions is that there's a lot of entanglement between different players, you know, investors, and, you know, there's a lot of common investors, you know, as we saw, I mean, this is what's really interesting about it is like a lot of this started when Binance sort of announced that they were going to kind of unload their FTT, which is FTX's token. So yeah, I think there will be in contagion, but it's hard to predict exactly where, uh, where, it will, where it will shake out. Emily Parker, uh, really appreciate your insights. Very valuable. The story going to develop. I'm sure we're going to know a lot more in the next hours, couple days, weeks, who knows. Emily, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. All right, folks, we are back on WEX. A lot more. We'll talk to Halima about oil, gas, and energy policy in America. Next. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Get right now to the markets and your money and futures right now. They are down across the board. All this coming off a big day on Tuesday where the markets all rose. Right now, the Dow futures down about 148 points. We'll get more in the macro markets in a moment. We're also watching shares of Tesla. New filings revealing that Elon Musk sold nearly $4 billion worth of Tesla stock in the days following his $44 billion buyout of Twitter. According to Disclosure, Musk unloaded some 19.5 million shares, leaving him with a roughly 14% stake in the company. He had to sell the stock to pay for Twitter. All right, now to the story of the morning, and that is the midterm elections. Democrats did flip a key Senate seat in Pennsylvania with John Fetterman defeating Mehmet Oz. But expectations of a so-called red wave by Republicans simply not happening. In fact, Democrats may end up keeping control of the Senate. Arizona, Nevada and Georgia all still in play. And Wisconsin also has yet to be called. A little bit of a different story there in the House. NBC News is projecting Republicans will likely take control of that chamber with a slight, maybe a very Slight five-seat advantage. All right, let's dive more into the results, what we know, what we don't, what it means for the markets, the economy, and beyond with Tina Fordham, founder of Fordham Global Foresight. Tina, good morning. Read your piece, by the way. She's got a piece up in the FT Financial Times. Urge everyone to go read that. Tina, right now, still some things to play out. What's your takeaway? Well, thinking about the macro, um, as I'm sitting here in London and discussing this with global investors and uh, and corporates, um, there were some interesting surprises, right? Um, and uh, I actually love it when there are surprises. First of all, it was a bad night for the polling industry. I don't want to talk about uh, palm reading and astrology. That would be harsh. But it does seem like um, it might be uh, you know, more than a temporary blow to the polling aggregators and to the whole industry that's really sprung up, um, which uh, seems to, to, you know, firmly not have captured the race. 
Having said that, anybody like me who, you know, who's dealing with this, this data and, and looking at it would have said and did say before, all of these big races that we're talking about were very much within the, the polling error range. So it's a caution to, I think, to, to investors who are looking for uh, a clear narrative. We don't have a clear narrative coming out of, of these midterms. Um, I think for for global viewers, they're going to breathe a sigh of relief in that, you know, it's it doesn't look like uh, a a lot of drama coming out of U.S. politics, political theater. Yes, uh, but big drama, perhaps not as much as feared. About the Senate looks NBC News calling the House for the Republicans, the Senate. We got still four races that are outstanding. We we may not know until December 6 if there is a runoff in Georgia and that determines (sighs) actually the deciding vote. Of course, then we'll see what Joe Manchin does. As you're meeting with investors and for our global viewers and audience, based on what we know now, is there any significant policy change that will impact the American markets, the global markets, the bond markets? Policy impact is one thing. I think most observers that I'm talking to um, in the in the sort of global investment market are very concerned about uh, failure to raise the debt ceiling, which is coming up again in December. And let's remember that this is a, a newly weaponized policy option. Um, so, you know, having seen what we did here in the UK with the, the big market sell-off after the so-called mini-budget, um, I think there's a big question about whether whether markets will, especially bond markets, will be uh, so forgiving if um, Republicans resort to uh, this weapon again. So the debt ceiling is one key issue. Uh, the, the biggest uh, point of relevance for, for global corporates and investors is, of course, U.S. foreign policy. And here is where we Americans, you know, can, can uh, go back to Civics 101, which I don't think is actually taught anymore, Brian, is it? I, it I should just be. By the way, it dated should be. myself. Should be. <laughs> Absolutely should be. We would yeah. have a lot fewer problems if it, if it still was. But the legislative branch doesn't control everything. Uh, and so we had a lot of, you know, loud voices, uh, particularly from MAGA Republicans about, um, you know, cutting aid to Ukraine and this sort of thing. Those comments definitely got attention here in Europe um, and uh, and globally, but I don't see them uh, actually uh, materializing. So um, on this front, uh, there are a lot of things still to digest about the midterms. But uh, to answer your question, no side has enough power to make big changes. And for financial markets, that's usually good news. It probably maybe is good news, although with the GOP likely controlling the House, that's the NBC News projection. Would a debt ceiling fight yet another one? Because we've had a number of them in the last decade or so. Would yeah. a debt ceiling fight be a net negative for the markets? I think that it's a concern given the, the much weaker uh, monetary, fiscal, economic policy backdrop. And, and that's what I was referring to with the, the UK point. Um, there's just less room for maneuver and for these kind of you know, political um, theatrics uh, in an environment where the, the Fed is less accommodating. Um, in other words, the costs may, may actually be more... Uh, than Republicans have bargained for. But for now, they're just going to savor their victory. And it sounds like rain down subpoenas on the White House. 
Yeah, and maybe a lot of hearings over the next year or so. We'll see if it's kind of uh, yeah. paralysis by analysis. Tina Fordham, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, so let's stick with the election and what the results, at least as far as what we know now, might mean for U.S. energy policy. Joining us, Halima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets, CNBC contributor. One of these days I'm going to not have to say that, Kalima, because everybody knows who you are and how smart and great you are. So we'll just bypass all that other stuff. All right, there's a lot we don't know, but we know that NBC News is saying the House is likely to go to the Republicans. So from an energy perspective, if that's the case, do you think this, this ups the chances of a passage or serious thought of a passage of the so-called NOPEC legislation? I mean, I think the chances of getting NOPEC passed are actually declining. I mean, this was something that was a very hot issue right after the OPEC meeting. Democrats were really sort of driving for this. You know, I don't really sense a lot of Republican enthusiasm for it. Yes, Senator Grassley put it in the National Defense Authorization Act, but he's really opposed to cartel. So I'm not sure NOPEC really is you know, headed towards the president's desk for signature at this moment. What about the so-called JCPOA, which our viewers might know yeah. just simply better as the Iran potential deal, their return to the global oil markets, nuclear deal, et cetera. Does this change that? Because Iran is really important to the global oil markets. Iran is really important. It's, you know, potentially a million barrels that could back onto the market, sanctions restricted. But even before the elections, you had very little progress in the Iranian nuclear negotiations. You also have the Iranians basically becoming Vladimir Putin's best friend, providing the Russians with sophisticated military technology, particularly drone technology. And so I just don't believe that there was a lot of momentum to get this deal done. You also have all these protests happening in Iran at the moment. President Biden sort of publicly siding with these protesters. So the Iran deal looks like it's basically stalled out at this moment. And so I think the really interesting questions are going to be, do you see if you have the House controlling, the Republicans controlling the House, do you see hearings potentially on the use of the SPR? Do you yep. see some hearings around the Inflation Reduction Act? The Republicans don't have the votes to really block implementation, but they can hold hearings and potentially try to slow some things down. Well, the Democrats and the president and the Department of Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, they've been talking about possible export restrictions on U.S. oil and or refined products. Many people say, well, that's the wrong thing to do. It might jack up our prices, not lower them. We can debate that all day long. But does a Republican-controlled House, even with a couple of votes, does that change the likelihood that we do not get export restrictions? I mean, again, this falls under the same sort of category as the SPR. I mean, yes, they can hold hearings on it. But the White House can probably use you know, emergency authority if they want to go down the route of export restrictions they probably have the power to do so. The question is, do they want to do it to Europe? I mean, Europe is set to impose very serious sanctions on Russian energy imports, starting with oil, but they're also doing products in February. So if we were to cut off the export of refined products, that could put our critical allies in Europe in a very tough economic situation. So the question is, does this White House want to actually pull the trigger on product export restrictions? Do you think that could still happen? And if it I mean, did, and if it did what's, it, the, what's the impact? Because I've talked to many smart people that said it's, it'll do the opposite. It's not going to lower prices in the United States. It might raise prices in the United States. I mean, you certainly hear speculation that there are some in the White House that 
favor product export restrictions. It's not seemingly people like Amos Huckstein, but you do hear reports that there's some on the political side that are at least amenable to thinking about this. You do have some progressive Democrats that are pushing for product export restrictions. But again, it does not look at this moment that they're pulling that lever. But again, it remains on the table. So watch what happens, particularly with diesel prices. To me, that is the important indicator to watch. That could be where we could see the restrictions coming. Yeah, 12 days of diesel supply up there in New England where you are, Halima Croft. You know what I'm talking about. And we just had a refinery fire last night in Los Angeles. Halima, we appreciate you staying up late, getting up early, but that's you. I really think there's (laughs) two. There's actually two of you. We just, we're just not right. told. It's like the prestige. Alima, thank you very much. All thank right. you, Brian. Thank All you. Right. You're very welcome. As we head to break, some quick big money movers. Shares of Sweet Green, they are down ahead of the open. They reported a wider than expected loss for the third quarter, also lowering their full year sales outlook for the second quarter in a row. And shares of Affirm also down. Hey, don't blame the messenger. Company lowering its full year outlook as one of its biggest partners, Peloton, faces consumer demand struggles of its own. That stock set to open at a record low. And overseas, Nintendo down as well. We're three for three. Dow Futures also down as Disney results were dismal. We're back right after this. All right, welcome and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. If you are just joining us, here are some of the key headlines outside of the midterm elections. Facebook may begin mass layoffs today. According to multiple reports, Mark Zuckerberg broke the news to hundreds of his top executives yesterday. Disney looking dismal. Earnings whipping on almost all metrics, streaming posting a massive loss. Overall earnings coming in 45% below consensus. That is the biggest miss for Disney since the early 1990s. That's an RBI. Disney stock nearly back to pandemic bottom lows. And FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried making history in all the wrong ways. After industry rival Binance announced plans to buy, basically bail out Bankman Freed's FTX, all amid a massive liquidity crunch. Bankman Freed waking up this morning with a net worth of about $990 million, which is a lot, but it was $15 billion yesterday morning. The biggest one day wealth collapse ever among billionaires. All right, on deck, Aaron Gibbs standing by, laying out your post election plays. And regardless of what happens, the one healthcare stock she loves right now. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. There's a lot going on today outside of the midterm election. On the economic front, you get some wholesale trade numbers for September. A number of high-profile earnings still on tap, including results out of DR Horton, Beyond Meat, Wynn Resorts, Rivian, and Bumble as well. Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin set to speak later on this morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. Of course, tomorrow is the Consumer Price Index. That's probably going to be the market-moving event of this week. Maybe the election move was back in October. That CPI print tomorrow matters a lot because it matters to the Fed. You know what matters to us? Having Erin Gibbs on right now to talk about everything that is going on. She is Chief Investment Officer at Main Street Asset Management. Erin, we wake up. Today, with maybe a slightly altered political landscape, maybe the House going slightly to the GOP, the Senate, we may not know for another month. So that said, based on what we know and what we don't know, do we change what we do? We sell everything, buy everything. What are we doing? No, in fact, I think already the results that we're seeing, it doesn't look like the Republican sweep that um, a lot of the, the, GO, where the GOP had hoped for. So I think, if anything, we're still more up in the air 
Uh, As the results come in, if they do, I at least control the house. Um, I think that it's certainly a a little bit of a help for energy, but that's already been doing better. So it's not like you need to drastically change your your strategy. I I think uh, it's it's just going to be somewhat a relief to investors that a divided house would at least be a little slower in um, creating some of these policies that have been heavily against uh, some of the um, energy yeah. and, and the conglomerates. So, so nothing major, and certainly no bigger takeaways for for today, or at least as of this morning. Yeah, and we we probably just get stasis for the next two years, right? We we start the presidential election cycle probably tomorrow, which stinks, but that's that's the way it works now. It's just permanent yeah. electioneering. That said, Aaron, we had a beautiful run up in October. I mean, was that kind of the move that we might have expected after? some sort of change in Congress. It felt somewhat political. Yeah, I, I think so. I think stasis is actually good. If anything, people uh, are, are happy with the status quo. We've kind of constantly been having to adjust to new plans, government spending. How is this going to impact uh, the economy and the different industries? Um, so stasis just means we have a little less to analyze. Uh, and so I think October has been good. I think another thing that people are looking at, obviously, just like you mentioned, is the CPI report coming out tomorrow. Um, you know, though it, it it has been a surprise for many months. Um, you know, it has been in the decline since June. So if we can really get that coming back down, you know, anything below 8%, I think would be sort of a, a sigh of relief uh, for the consumer, as well as for, for what the Fed's going to do. So I think that is really going to be um, the, the most important uh, number coming out of the week uh, on top of the midterm elections. But, yeah. uh, you know, we've still been a, a bit risk off. So I, I don't think you need to change any of your strategies dramatically. I don't see any trends immediately changing just because it's November. Yet. All right. Well, I, I get this this brilliant tease where I said, you know, it's a stock that Aaron Gibbs loves right now. Sort of. It doesn't really probably matter. healthcare. In the short term, what happens in Congress, right? Because a name like United Health, you think is just going to probably keep printing money? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, though healthcare isn't one of our absolute favorite sectors, managed healthcare has been doing extremely well, and United Healthcare is by far and away one of your best bets within the area. Um, so, obviously, it's you know a much more uh, long-term type of strategy. Uh, obviously, people need that managed healthcare and. And, uh, you know, always is still important whether COVID is here or not. Uh, it's just one of those companies that's just been really great at increasing profits, very stable. So it's it's your nice, stable company that isn't highly valued. Valuations are not expanding. Um, and we're actually seeing improved profits rather than declining, which we are seeing for a lot of other sectors. And outside of that, you kind of said it at the top, just to reiterate, energy has been working. You're sticking with what's working, even though it's had these huge run-ups. I mean, Occidental has doubled, not recommending that stock. I'm just saying it's the best performer. The median gain has been like 70% this year of a big cap right. oil so, and gas stock. Yeah, and, and, and I think... Uh, you don't even really have to within the energy sector. It's been such a broad uh, run up uh, that obviously Occidental being very good, but you could simply buy an energy ETF still at this point. I think um, while it's a bit extended today, there's yeah. really no stopping this trend. And this could certainly be continue to be well for another month. Yeah, they've just been printing money as well. Aaron Gibbs, Main Street Asset Management. Aaron, good to see you. Thank you very much. And folks, as always, thank you. 
for watching. Worldwide Exchange, we're going to have complete coverage all day long, beginning with Squawk Box, by the way, which they were on last night, and they're on again this morning. We call that wexing. Squawk Box is next. Have a great day. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 